J.V. Crum III is a best-selling author, investor, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of the Conscious Millionaire Institute. He helps both startups and entrepreneurs create higher profits while achieving a higher purpose. He became a self-made millionaire by his mid-20s, holds a degree in psychology, and director of Conscious World Foundation, Inc., a nonprofit that provides global youth leadership training and the annual Conscious World Day. JV and I really dive head deep into a lot of very personal and transformative topics, including how to grow your business by making difference. If anything to you sticks out, please take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast and send it to a friend, maybe throw it up on social media, email it to a family member, get the word out there about what you are learning today so they can learn too. Without further ado, episode 232 with JV Crumb. So JV, the first question that I always ask my guests is how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? Yeah, that's a fabulous question, uh, especially uh, you know this time of year. I'm, I do a lot of things, a combination of outdoors. So I just went camping last weekend. And uh, tonight I'm reserving a whole bunch of camp spaces uh, for the next four or five months. So I can camp a lot. I just joined a hiking mm. club and I joined a cycling club two weeks ago. So that kind of tells you where my head's at in terms of outdoors. It's one of the reasons I live in Colorado. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I love all the arts. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of concerts. Uh, A couple of weeks from now, we're going to downtown have a day of rock. So it's five different uh, stands a block apart with you know, bands. We have an indie day and uh, about two months where we have like a hundred indie bands. And then I go to the jazz club. I'm going to the jazz club this weekend uh, because this weekend I'm not going camping and classical music and then all the way to opera. So, and then my probably amid all that, if I were going to say, what's my favorite, favorite hobby, it's traveling. I I love to travel Mm. the world. I love to go explore different cultures. And most of the time I travel alone all over the world because it's the best way to meet people. It's the best way to immerse myself in that culture. Or I'll travel with someone, but they're very much like me and they're they're good with us having breakfast. And then we can like each go our own way for the day and then meet back up for dinner and then share our day. But we don't have to be together every day. We can let each other have our own journey. To me, getting to know people from all over the world gives you such, gives me a, a wider perspective of what's going on on the planet And I'll tell you, the most important question I've been asking myself lately, and it relates to where I want to take my global nonprofit, is how do we create a world where everybody wins? Mm. I I think that for me, that's the most important question to answer over the next several decades. What does that look like? What's the structure? What do we require from each person? What's the cultures that will, uh, you know, promote that? What's the commerce? You know, because we've got to have a world where everybody literally can win that, you know, and and here I am, conscious millionaire. Gosh, I'm a capitalist, but I'm a capitalist who believes that everybody ought to be able to win and that it's not quite right that it's set up where maybe 20% of us have the kind of intellect and skill sets and insights that we can win on a bigger scale, but 80% can't win so much. There's something that doesn't fit well for me about that kind of a setup. Hmm. And I'm curious, why do you think this world has sort of a negative connotation around sort of like capitalism making money? Well, yeah, I think there's a couple of questions there. So let me tease out why do they have a negative view around capitalism? And I think Hmm. what's happened is that and I've had this discussion so many times recently, actually technology, while it's aided all of us to say, you know, have our smartphones, 
because you have to be somewhat intelligent to order to in order to understand how to use technology to grow your business and to grow wealth it also limits the number of the people who can actually leverage that and capitalize on it so what's actually occurred and if we look at the numbers it's saying the same thing and it's interesting because even 2 years ago i wouldn't have been saying this type of stuff but the more i looked at the truth of what's going on the more i realized that how could I be a conscious person and say it's okay for half the people to have $400 in their bank account maybe? How can I think that that's okay? And I, and I realized it's not their fault, it, that we've set things up so that some people can win really big and other people, which is the majority, don't win very big. And that's really started bothering me the last year. And, and I've started looking at how do we change that? Not not from the standpoint of let's just play Robin Hood, you know, mm-hmm. that I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody has having billions of dollars. So I want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to find out how to create a playing field so that, so that all of us have an opportunity to win, not just those of us who are well-educated or happen to have good genes so we're intelligent or insightful or have kind of the entrepreneurial approach to how we look at life, that there's got to be a way that everybody can win. And I think that we're going through massive shifts all over the world with people being unhappy with the fact that that's not true. The other question you asked was, why is there so much negativity around money? Well, I grew up in that household. My parents were both Mm -hmm. incredibly intelligent, but we had no money. We didn't always know where food was going to come from. And at the age of five, I made a decision. I said, I don't understand this, but it's not how I'm going to live. I'm going to grow up and be a millionaire and got there at 25. I think that we have... And when I wrote my book, I wrote a chapter that's you know basically on scarcity and abundance. Uh, it's titled The Abundance Mindset. And my editor says, well, JB, you're going to have to explain some of this. You've you got to explain how you got to where you are and what's going on with the scarcity. And so when I was five, I one day I had my epiphany. I was going to grow up and be a millionaire. And I ran in the house and told my parents like I had discovered water. And my mother shook her fingers at me and said, don't you tell anybody. Of course, being a five-year-old, I told everybody because that's what five-year-olds do. But mm. nonetheless, I had. she says, you've got to explain that comment. And I'd actually never sat down and thought about it. And I realized we were uh, in a little town of two or 300 people. We lived across the street from the church. We were the family that kind of ran the church. And trust me, in a little country town, there's a family that runs the church. You know, I mowed the lawn. I played the piano for Sunday school. My parents sang in the choir. My grandmother was communion steward. My mother wrote the Christmas plays. I mean, we were it. And we were there three times a week. So what my mother was really saying, and it really related, and I bring this up a lot because I know I'm not the only person with this background that impacted me. And what she was really saying is, I don't want you to grow up and be a bad person. And in her mind, if somebody had that much money, they must be criminal. They must be swindling people. They must be a dishonest business person. And she didn't want her son to grow up and be that way. Now, fortunately, I didn't internalize that because I was just determined to get out of this situation. But I think that we have a lot of information that's given to us as we're growing up from various sources. It, it might come from religion. It might come from you know, society. It might come from our great aunt, You know that money has something wrong with it and that it's mm-hmm. like you're taking some other person's piece of the pie. And I had to mm-hmm. think through that one. Uh, we're not because wealth comes from adding value to other people's lives. That That's where most wealth comes. Yes, there's some training that happens in a split second in the stock market, but that's not where most wealth is actually created. Most wealth is created by service and products being sold that add value to people's lives. They want them and they pay for them. So the people to a large extent who make the most money actually actually have added the most value. And Mm -hmm. that's what wealth and money is really about, but it's not what I was taught. And I don't think it's what most people are taught. Most people are taught like, you should have your part, but you've got to leave plenty for others. 
when in truth you're not taking anybody's, you're creating literally the wealth value by how you decide to position yourself on, on this planet. And that actually is what Conscious Millionaire is about. It's about making money by adding more positive impact, more value, uh, to more, more transformational value that takes someone to a level they weren't before. And that that's how you should always be focused, not how can I get money from people, but how can I add value to them? Mm. Mm. So many great points there. And I've, you know, myself, like JV, I was definitely taught that, you know, I was taught nothing straightforward about money. And, you know, I had all this unconscious programming after realizing now about everything you said, all these different cultural forces that actually, you know, played into a part like, oh, you know, money is just something like that's totally foreign to us. And, you know, that leads me back to sort of like the first sort of question that you posed on what you've been thinking about recently and like how do we give everybody on this planet a fair shot? I mean, I think about that all the time. And I think that's one of the most important questions we could be asking ourselves moving into sort of like this next era of abundance that is making things happen that were not possible 50 years ago. And it's like, you just take a look at somebody like me, for example, my parents grew up in Egypt. They won the lottery, came here to America, didn't really have much money. We grew up on government housing, food stamps, assistance from the community and and, and things and so on and so forth. And yet, um, you know, I grew up with my whole fair share of issues like we all do. And yet I was sort of able to um, come out of this from a lot of environmental forces that I got lucky with, uh, but then also some more sort of digging on my end from sort of becoming conscious. And I think about that all the time. And I always think like, like how many, um, because I don't think the answer is necessarily black and white, right? It's like, right. I think most of many... the, most of the answers in life that I've discovered are very nuanced and gray. I, I don't think most of life is mm-hmm. black and white. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, what I was going to say is, you know, how many, you know, for example, um, you know, people that, you know, were living on their lives and, you know, one of them, you know, let's say it's a mother, you know, she, she gets pregnant and, you know, she's in a good place and she's able to provide for that child versus, you know, sort of like the worst case scenario of what could happen of, um, you know, somebody, uh, a mother out on the streets, uh, possibly have some addiction issues. And it's just like, you know, people are faced with certain issues in life, but how they respond is often, you know, the variable because there's always the the person who had that exact same thing happen to them and they became unbelievably successful versus the person who, you know, may have had that same scenario and didn't. And it's just like with the question that you posed of how do we actually, you know, create like an equal playing field for, for each person and give them the shot, you know, it's like, how do we begin to do that? I mean, it's a very interesting question. I mean, it's that is like the question that we should be asking ourselves for sure. I love that. Well, I think that there's two aspects to the answer. And because I always think in threes, I'm sure there's a third, but there's two that I've been focused on. And one is how do we structure the opportunity? How do we structure the economy? How do we structure capitalism? What's it all about? But I think that's only one part of it. Another part is Mm. how do we help people awaken, which is really a a conscious millionaire, the core of everything I do is around human potential and, and reaching a higher level of expression of who you are. So how do we, excuse me, how do we awaken people to their real potential and then give them some skills so that they can do something with that potential? But I think that, uh, well, the third part really is each person has to take responsibility to make a decision Hmm. and to take the actions necessary to take their potential and win. And, And I see that that's such a critical point. And it's very contextual because um, you and I both grew up in situations that were, at least on a financial level, suboptimal. 
but we both made a decision at some point. I mean, mine was obviously five, but you made a decision as well um, that I'm going to figure out how to be successful. I'm going to figure out how to go out and create my wealth. I'm going to figure out how not to be in this situation I'm in right now. However, a lot of people don't make that decision. And what is of interest to me is what can be done to help to spur them on to making that kind of decision because that's what makes them a better person. And it's also what makes them a better member of society because I believe we're all here to contribute. And the higher level of our contribution, the higher level our society will go. And the more that we're all a, a matrix of, of winners. And, uh, but that takes people making a decision. And not everybody makes that decision. How can we get people to make that decision? Because it has to come from within people. But I think some external pieces can help them on that path. And a lot of times people don't think it's possible. They've had so much negativity in the early parts of their life that they're not looking at at possibility in the way you and I are, and probably most people listening to this are looking that, well, possibility is something that we have some control over, that we can actually decide what our future looks like. We can actually design it, and then we can create steps to bring it into reality. But not everybody's walking around with that kind of a viewpoint. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, that just brings more into the work of, you know, somebody like you and what we do and kind of spreading this information and, um, you know, setting the, you know, conscious uh, path on, um, you know, on fire. And, you know, the first thing that I sort of want to ask, the first thing that I think of when I see JV Crumb the third, I mean, how, what, what about the, what about the first two? What, <laughs> what about the first two? Yeah, yeah so what's the story that's, behind that's a, that? That's a great yeah. that's a great question. So why don't we go a little bit farther back on my father's side of the family? And I've got a hundred and fifteen page document that's got it all all the genealogy. We came over from Amsterdam to what was then New Amsterdam before it became New York in sixteen fifty seven. And um and then on my mother's side, I'm a direct a descendant of Edmund Randolph, who was the first governor of Virginia. So it's kind of interesting in both of those descents, I have a, a piece of cut glass he brought over from England. And on my father's side, I have a great, great grandfather's Confederate officer's sword from the Civil War, which is really interesting to have these pieces of history. But mm. so my grandfather was in Citrus, and died two years before I was born, had a heart attack at age 58. Then my father was in Citrus. And then interestingly enough, I took over the family trucking line, which was basically bankrupt. And I knew nothing about business, but it turned out I knew a lot about business. It just turns out that I had a natural instinct. And in three years, turned it around, made us millionaires, got my you know beautiful home. And what were we doing? We were hauling citrus pellets, which are pelletized citrus peel that were being shipped from Florida to Europe, and they're used as cattle feed, interestingly enough. So you've got to find, you know, isn't this interesting that although I didn't set out to do anything in citrus, that I actually also spent 18 years in the citrus business. And so it's really a, a, a country family that was in citrus is, is kind of where I come from. Hmm. Hmm. That's uh, that's super interesting, and I'm you know I'm curious to sort of hear well, you know what I, I want to add something about my grandfather, even though I never met him. When my father died, which was just just right now, just eight years ago, um, one of my tasks, being an only child, was to go through the entire home that was their last, my parents' last home. My mother had predeceased him, uh, but it turns out Dad never went through her things. Uh, but JB only found that out the day after his father died. So I was actually going through both of my parents at the same time in the home that my father lived in for 40 years. So I was opening up army lockers and suitcases full of stuff. And although I never met my grandfather, I it's always clear to me that he was a true Southern gentleman. Uh, 
and it turned out that he was, I found probably the only letter in existence that he wrote. It was that was still in existence. He wrote it to my father on the occasion of my father was in actually the Army Air Corps in World War II, and then Air Force was created later. And um, and he became an, my father became an officer. So my grandfather wrote him a four page letter that I still have in the most beautiful. I mean, folks, listen, my handwriting is so atrocious that even I can't read it 60 seconds later. I'm, you know, like I write all these notes and I have no idea what I wrote. My grandfather's handwriting was the most beautiful cursive handwriting I've ever seen. And just the words he chose and the respect he showed and how proud he was of my father. And, you know, and we recounted other officers who had been in the family generations before and how he knew that he would always become an officer. That was an amazing thing to find that was I found that like a like in the month after my dad died and read that. And that was an amazing uh, understanding of who my grandfather really was. And, and I'm just curious, do you feel like what is it about going into your roots? What is it about learning about, you know, your own history, your own family's history? Oh, that's so important. Uh, to me, it because I grew up, even though I was an only child, most of most of the family on both sides lived nearby, and my grandmother lived with us. So every weekend, we would go from being a family of four to about twenty people, and this was just, you know, this was a regular thing. And for me, I think my father was particularly in, enamored with knowing. I mean, he had people that he would see that were like cousins fourth removed type of thing, right? So I think it's critical because it is part of whether we can say it's part of our genetics. I, you know, it, it obviously is part of our genetics, but there's something more. Because if you think about my grandfather was this true Southern gentleman, but my father was also a Southern gentleman. In fact, when he died, uh, I gave him what in the South we'd call a senator's uh, funeral. So it was a grand funeral, which he deserved. And on his tombstone and the funeral, it was even given a theme, a true Southern gentleman. And everybody who knew my father, he was 90 when he died, would have said exactly that, that he was the epitome of a Southern gentleman. So, and and I would say, to be objective, that I'm probably half a Southern gentleman. I mean, I work at being a Southern gentleman, but I don't really think that I quite reach the level of my parents, um, my father or my grandfather, uh, because they were so steeped in it. But yet it influences me. I open the door for 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 women. And, and I call that chivalry. You know, uh, my father was the kind of person that if a woman came to the table in a, in a restaurant, he immediately, you know, would stand up. But I was taught all those things that, that this is part of being, you know, human being, you know, and you're human, humans 2.0, that this was part of who we are, that, that civility and politeness are, are part of how we should behave. And that came out of my background that came out of the old South is, you know, people, who grew up in the South know this is the South. People who don't live there make up stuff. But in the old South, it was about, you know, civility. It was about politeness. It was about showing respect. The fact that my grandmother lived with us, I deeply respected her because I thought she had more wisdom than I did, which was certainly true. But, but that influenced who I am. And then both of my parents believed and told me, I, I was probably three or four when they started telling me this. I, it felt like every day. It probably wasn't, but it almost. And it was that it's each of our obligations for the world to be better off because we walked here. And my parents lived that 100%. So that, again, is why I think it's so important to understand our heritage. Like, why did I start Conscious Millionaire? Well, it's an, it's an outbirthing of what my parents taught me growing up, really. Mm -hmm. 
that we should make a positive impact. And I simply brought it together and say, let's make our money by making a positive impact, by transforming people's lives and their businesses and taking people to higher levels and opening them up to their potential and what's possible for them. And let's sell them services and products that that help them get there. I love that. I love that. I think going back to your roots is so, so pivotal. I can recommend it enough. And, you know, JV, I'm, I'm curious. I want to hear a little bit more about what seems like a real turning point, a real transformational moment. I think when you said when you were 25 and you made this decision and you took responsibility, I mean, tell us a little bit about that and the kind of path that it ended up setting you on. Yes. Well, actually, the most important thing uh, at 25 wasn't the four-story home on the water and the Mercedes. The most important thing happened three months later. So I kind of acquired all that at the same time, you know, because that was my little boy dream to have the, you know, the beautiful, beautiful home and all that. (laughs) And then about three months into that journey, one day I was standing in my living room and and the wall looking out at the, the bay, imagine it's all basically all glass. And it was a sunshiny day and I had palm trees in my front lawn and there were sailboats out on on the bay. And I had a very rapid, and and I'm certain it was no longer than 60 seconds. It could have been 30 seconds, uh, meltdown in which I went, something is wrong with this picture. And the kinds of things I said to myself was, I don't like myself. I'm horrible at relationships. I'm miserable. I don't feel like my life has any meaning. And all I figured out how to do was make some money. And all of a sudden, it felt completely empty and meaningless to be living mm-hmm. in this beautiful home with a Mercedes sitting uh, out, out in, the, in, in the garage. So that was the most important thing because that's what set me on a path of knowing that yes, money and wealth are important. They empower us to live better. They empower us to be able to give back. They empower us to build larger companies that can make a bigger imp- impact. Uh, but that there was something missing. And it took me quite a while. I went to Sweat Lodges and Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer and read every personal development book I could get my hands on. And over time, what I realized was missing was that I literally had no purpose for my life, that I was doing something that gave me no meaning, that gave me no fulfillment, that what I later would call was exactly that. I I didn't know what my calling was. I didn't know the reason I was on the planet, but I was very clear that there was a reason. I simply didn't know it. And so I really went out searching, ultimately orchestrated selling the companies and going off, and I lived at a uh, initially a Buddhist monastery, then at mm. Esalen on the Big Sur coast, uh, which is really where the human potential movement began, Esalen Institute. And then, you know, kind of the bigger version of the Buddhist monastery in Esalen, and that's Boulder, Colorado, which interestingly <laughs> enough, wasn't chosen for this reason, but it has the only Buddhist university and actually has more Buddhists per capita than any other place in the country. And then I would go out for two or three weeks at a time on vision, self-crafted vision quests, camping, and asking what I call the universe, but we can use God or you know whatever word fits for anyone listening. And I'd go, why am I here? And I'd build campfires and I'd search inside and I would kind of almost plead and go, I'm ready to get my purpose. Give it to me. Well, that actually process actually took about two and a half years. And then three, actually longer than that, it was actually about four or five years of doing that kind of work. And then the purpose came and it came in Reno, Nevada of all places. I was skiing for the winter Lake Tahoe and being trained as a tax attorney. Of course, I wanted to stay out of California, which is the, you know, has the highest taxes of any state in the country. And so if you stay in Reno, you're on, you know, you're outside by 10, 10 miles, <laughs> you're over the border. And uh, I had gone over to San Francisco for the weekend, which is about a three and a half hour trip and it's all freeway. And I was walking around and I saw this rack of brochures that were really thick, about a hundred pages on this upcoming, which I later came back to green festival, which I at the time didn't know much about green or sustainability. And now I certainly have a working knowledge. Um, 
And I came back and I got in the jacuzzi at the place I'd leased and, and I was just flipping through it. And I looked down and I saw the word conscious and my, you know, everybody's intuition. It's one of the areas I work with clients on. Everybody has their own patterns. And I love helping people discover those because once you discover them, you know, if your intuitions has a high probability of accuracy and I get mine visually and kinesthetically. So visually in my forehead, I saw the phrase conscious millionaire and I got a tingling in my spine. And I said, I said to myself, that's it. And um, I kind of stayed in the hot tub for about 40 more minutes because I know how the universe works. I knew that consciousmillionaire.com, nobody would have taken it. And of course they hadn't. And about a month later, I filed all my trademarks. And that very night I said out loud, this is my assignment. And there was a real sense of calling and purpose and that what I'd been searching for finally had been revealed to me. And that revelation was grand because I said to myself, I don't know exactly what this is, but it's a really cool phrase. I like it. I'm in, right? But I had to be the one that Conscious Millionaire came through. I didn't know it was for entrepreneurs and all the stuff we've been talking about. I mean, that came as I started working on it, creating my first audio program, and then later writing on the book. It actually revealed itself through that process, and it's still revealing itself. And when I say it's revealing itself, it's like Conscious Millionaire has a life of its own, and I'm mm. really more the custodian of it. You know, <laughs> so I, I look at it as legally I own the trademarks and the URLs and, you know, the intellectual property, but I'm only holding that for the benefit of others. And I think that's an important point. I, I think that the more consciously awake you become of why you're on the planet, you realize you don't actually own this stuff. It's just mm -hmm. kind of being loaned to you and you're supposed to take good care of it and then if it's intellectual property, you're supposed to develop it and get it out to the world, but it's not about you. It's about the good it can do. And that's an important insight and understanding because uh, along the way of developing Conscious Millionaire, I very quickly came to realizing, and it was an interesting distinction having been trained as an attorney, that yes, for the legal system, I technically owned things, but in reality, I kind of got my shoulder tapped and said, hey, here's the project, want it? And But the project wasn't about owning stuff. The project was about bringing forth and breathing uh, a philosophy and a way of doing business and a way of living to the world and then developing it and getting the message out there, which is like you, why, why I have a big podcast so I can get that message out. Mm. And, you know, JV, I'm curious to hear like, you know, your, your progression on this journey, you know, you started out with one podcast and now, you know, you've sort of gotten an entire network. Um, and I'm just curious to hear, like, you sort of mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of where you're heading, but I mean, what is, what is your goal with this network and what is, you know, what is the future to come? Yeah, it's a, it's a, fa it's a fabulous question. Um, in part, because today we were having internal discussions about that, which, you know, so it's the synchronicity that two, two hours ago I was having this discussion with my team. So it's interesting. Um, we're actually uh, thinking of streamlining it and kind of collapsing some of the different podcasts all, to, all together with the original podcast. And, you know, because we have a clear clear message and that message really is, you know, we, we want to help you make your first million or your next million but we want to help you do that consciously that's making a big impact on others and giving deep fulfillment uh, along with financial success to you. So really, uh, the, the, I'll, I'll circle back and answer it another way. The third, I started recording uh, July 8th, 2014. That was my first recording day. I did three recordings that day. And folks, if you ever think about having a podcast, you know, this is probably something most people will do. I was so grateful I did it on the first podcast. I was about six, seven, and I had Michelle Patterson who had had her own radio show. And so folks, 
it's always good to have somebody who knows what they're doing the first time you interview somebody because I had no idea, right? I had not done 1,800 episodes. And so I was, you know, like a blind man needing somebody to uh, to guide me along. And it's it's going well. And then seven minutes in it, I'm looking down at my software and there's this little red button that's supposed to be all lit up that's, you know, says record. And, <laughs> and, and Michelle's talking and I, I'm going, Michelle? And then finally she heard me. I go, I think we're going to have to start over. I I didn't hit record. <laughs> but, you know, I've never forgotten to hit record again. About three weeks into this pre-launch recording, I actually recorded 60 episodes before we launched, which wasn't actually the plan, but you know how life works out. That's just what happened. <laughs> you know, in two months, I did 60 episodes. And that's how we launched five days a week. I had no intention of launching five days a week, but I looked at how many I had and I said, well, these people are going to be not so happy if theirs is coming out a year from now, right? And so we got to do something about that. And that's where the five days a week, when we started, and then we went to seven. And right now we're at six, but you know, hey, by the time you listen to this, we could be at eight. Any rate, three weeks into that, um, Mark, I did, I think, three or four shows on that day. And after the last one, I sat back and I literally said, I think you just had your Oprah moment. Now, uh, I don't know about you, Mark, but a lot of times I say things out loud or I'll be writing in my journal and I'll write something. I'll go, oh, it's like how the universe reveals stuff to me. (laughs) Right. And I'm going. Because I'm thinking, I have no idea what I just said. Like, there was no intention on my part to say that. It kind of just came out of my mouth, right? And then I didn't say anything for about a minute. And and of course, you know, I have to say the first thing that hit me is, well, gosh, that woman made billions of dollars to just talking to people. And then I realized that that wasn't it. I said, I think you found your deeper calling. And I thought it was Conscious Millionaire. And so that's a long way of answering your question. I am just a buzz with interest in everything media, and I really want a TV show. So I think that this podcasting is just preparing me for more mm. things to come. But I love it. And I know that you know this too, Mark. It's the best gig in town. You get to talk to interesting yeah. people. And by golly, for reasons you can't explain, other people listen to it. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, isn't that the miracle of it all? It's like, it probably wouldn't be quite so exciting if nobody listened. But both of us have had millions and millions of people listen to it. And that to me is like a miracle that yeah. that actually happens. Dude, I totally agree with you for sure. And I'm, and I'm curious, you know, to hear what has, you know, a, a daily podcast basically what has that done for you? <laughs> not not when it comes to like business or marketing, but I mean just you personally and how yeah. you approach it. Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Um, this last six months, I've been evolving how I do it, um, how it's uh, affected me. Well, first of all, you've got to get all those recorded, right? So hmm. I'm a I'm a batch kind of guy and I'm a grinder and and uh you know people go you're you're just a machine. So for the longest time like the first couple of years um I would do like 10 shows in a day, record 10 shows and I'm talking hour sessions. And oh, wow. then I decided I know even now I laugh about it, but I still do days with 8 today. Um and then I decided that I thought that 7 was the optimal so I kind of went to a seven show format where I would do four shows, an hour break and three shows. And some days when I'm really crazy, I'll go ahead and schedule eight, you know, in a day. Hmm. But uh, so I basically, but now I'm doing a lot more sales and marketing for my, for my private coaching and group programs that we're doing and I'm about to launch a mastermind. So I'm reserving the first half of my day for those kind of conversations and meetings So now I'm typically, you know, I have everything that I just yesterday scheduled everything for the next two months, the open spaces, and now I'm inviting people to them. And most of the days are only five, but then I'm doing them in a row. And some of the days are six and seven still. Uh, So it, 
it taught me how to produce, to be honest mm. with you, you know, because I'm, I'm, I, I laugh because I want to do this TV show. I'm really serious about that. And I go, you know, a lot of people do the talk TV show and they only do one a day. I said, we're doing seven shows a day. Uh, I, I love doing those seven shows or six shows because I get to see something my podcast producer never sees, the audience never sees, and I get to see and experience a completely different show in a way. And it's the synchronicity, because as you well know, somebody might sign up two months in advance to do the recording, right? Uh, so they sim- people simply, you send them, the, you invite them, you have the, the you know pre-interview with them, however you handle that. And then they choose a day that's right for them. So it's very interesting to me who these six or seven people are because they didn't all sign up in a day. Typically they don't know one another. Typically I don't know most of them these days. And there'll be messages that, and insights that I get like, this is not uncommon where I'll have seven shows and three people. Cause I ask everybody what book they'd like to recommend. Right. And there'll be like three people recommend the same book. Now, this is my private joke with God. I go, God wants me to read this book, you know, and, and I'm on Amazon ordering it that night. because I believe I'm obviously supposed to read it, but that's a perfect example. And there'll be themes that will show up in the given day where several people will talk about the same thing in part of their interview with mm. no knowledge that the other person did. And I'm not the one who brings up the topic. So I kind of go, well, you ought to pay attention because I just consider those private messages for me that because these shows are going to come out on different days, nobody else is going to make the connection. My podcast producer is going to edit them in the order that they're going to come out, not the order that I recorded them. A- and I find that to be fascinating about the synchronicity mm. of life and how it can show up for a podcast host. So I appreciate you asking the question because I don't think I've ever talked about it quite like that. I love that. I love that. And to switch gears here, a question that I really wanted to ask you is I'm curious to hear, um, you know, what role your own, um, you know, sexual orientation has played into all the different stages of your life and how it's evolved and how you kind of dealt with it growing up and how you view it today? That's a, that's a a long question. Uh, Let me see how to put it short. So first of all, let's pull back the curtain so everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, I've always been bisexual. So I've Mm. lived a fairly bisexual life. Only since I had a heart attack last year, have I started identifying as gay and then it's more like bisexual gay. But there was a shift that happened the day I had my heart attack. And I knew for the first time, now I've been doing, I've been at this thing called life for a little while now. Uh, and I knew for the first time that I actually wanted uh, another guy as a partner. And I wasn't clear about that before. I'd go back and forth between men and women. Sometimes I date men and women at the same time. I hope nobody finds that offensive. You know, it just seemed like, you know, the right balance for me. And I think it had everything to do with a lot of my evolution. Like when I was in grad school in psychology, I wrote a thesis on um, sexual role types. And I, and, and part of the thesis was on psychological androgyny, which is interesting because psychological androgyny technically is defined as, you know, using, um, what's traditional men, male uh, thoughts and feelings and activities and traditional female thoughts and, you know, act, uh, feelings and activities. Now, this is a while back that I wrote this thesis and it was like a hot topic and people were discovering things that now we would go, well, that's so obvious, but it wasn't so obvious a while back, like in my lifetime, a while back. Because the discovery from the experiments that were being done were there were, guess what? The people who were able to use the full range of who they are as a human being happened to be the best leaders, happened to run the best companies. They weren't just stuck in one end or the other. 
So this was kind of early in my development that I was exploring that. And then it's very clear to me that the reason Conscious Millionaire became an inspired thought for me rather than somebody else was because of my bisexuality. Because let's think about it. Conscious is definitely female energy. And millionaire is masculine energy. So I was said, no, there's there's something out of balance here. These two belong together. And so I think that the fact that I experienced a full range of emotions that maybe are, are more more broad than than the average the average or the typical person because uh you know just to to kind of uh as long as we're going to talk about this right so mm. statistically about 5% of the population is gay it's purely homosexual about 90% is purely heterosexual but there's another 5% that is some form of bisexual and um what I think is missing, it's interesting. I've never felt anybody prejudice against me. I guess I've been fortunate about the gay end of all this, but I've actually experienced a lot of prejudice about being bisexual. Um, and I think it comes from friends who just said, well, that's impossible. Um, if you like guys at all, you must be gay. You can't be straight. And I'm going, but you're missing the whole point. <laughs> One is I like them both. Um, and not having a place to put that in people's minds. it's, And I think the reason is, is that it probably is good we're having this conversation. Most people who are bisexual don't come out about being bisexual. And the reason for that is that if you think about it, one to a hundred, let's just say one is purely heterosexual and a hundred is purely homosexual. There's only one point out of a hundred called 50-50. Most people who are bisexual over time, although mine's been pretty dynamic, uh, have a preference one way or the other. That's just the way it falls. And I think because of that, the world in general doesn't really understand bisexuality. Whereas for me, it took me the longest time to be really uh, open about this. It was probably 20 years ago before I finally decided, well, I guess I was wrong that everybody wasn't bisexual and just most people were unaware uh, because to me, it's so perfectly normal that I can simply look out in a room and find a whole bunch of people I'm attracted to and that the the sex, uh, their gender doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with it a lot of times. But that's what being bisexual is, you know? And for me, it's a gift, you know, because aside from the fact that I've had prejudice about it because people didn't understand it, I don't think Conscious Millionaire would even have come about. I don't think a lot of the perspectives that I have that are much more open to seeing people for who they are, because I can see that people are just filled with all kinds of nuances. And actually, if we just say, isn't that interesting, rather than they're different than us, that's that's fascinating, actually. It's kind of like you go to the ocean and you find all these different fish, except, mm. you know, some people just have more colors of who they are than other people do. And I find all those colors, whether they relate to sexuality or, or whatever they relate to, you know, it, it's one of the things that I help people do. This will sound like I'm changing topics. I'm actually not. Is that one of the things I help a lot of people do is figure out their purpose and how it fits into their business. Even if they already have a successful business, they'll feel like something's off. Right. And I think it's because I have no judgment about any of it. It's like your purpose is your purpose, and I think it's divine, and I think it's why you're on the planet, and I think when you, when you really discover it and bring it into your life, into your business, that you're going to flourish in a way that you won't otherwise. And, and I think if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through in understanding who I am sexually, I don't think that I necessarily would be able to accept other people in such a broad way. And I think that's mm. a good thing. I think that's awesome. And I think, uh, you know, part of life, what it's all about is, you know, sharing our perspectives. And I always like to have, you know, people on my podcast that may not necessarily look like your everyday successful person, you know, speak up because I think that, you know, there's plenty of people listening to this podcast that, you know, might have fallen in some similar shoes as you. And I think when you share your perspective, no matter, um, you know, how diverse your your background or your story is, 
I think it's all just a part of, you know, helping this world become more conscious day by day. Um, JV, thank you so much for coming on. The last thing that I do here is have my guests leave the audience with a self-inquisitive question that they can sort of ask themselves. Well, I want to circle back to uh, a question that I brought up earlier on about what I've been pondering and ask you, what is it that you can do with your life and your business that will help set up the world so that truly everybody can win? What does that look like for you and what can you do to contribute to it? Hmm. Hmm. That's a great question. So, um, JV, where's the best place for people to reach out, learn more about, you know, the abundance of, of shows and content that you have? Well, if you want to look at the podcast, it's conscious or look at, listen, uh, it's consciousmillionaireshow.com. And you can always go to consciousmillionaire.com. There's a podcast uh, in the header and you can click on that to get to it. And, you know, I always like to give away something. And if you'd like my seven-figure formula, the steps that you need to take to make your first million, go to consciousmillionaire.com forward slash seven-figure formula. And for those of you who are wondering, I, I did it both ways. The number seven, and you can spell it out either way. Whichever you like, I actually have Genius. four different ways that you could uh, put it in and still get it. <laughs> Genius. Genius. JV, thank you so much for coming on, man. You're a real human 2.0. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Metry. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode, and I'll be sure to get in touch with you. And if you really, really love the podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get this Humans 2.0 grassroots movement going. Woo! Get out there and do something impactful today.